Hello and welcome to Odds and Evenings, a podcast about mathematics, puzzles, numbers and games. My name is Alex, I am one of your hosts, as usual, and with me is... Hello Rick. Hello Alex. Hello. How are you? I'm good. I'm tired. It's been a, a busy week with lots of late nights. Why? Um, well, among one of the things, it's been local elections in the UK recently, and I was a candidate in one of the wards locally for the Green Party. Oh, Nice. So you went out treading the grounds, campaigning? I did a bit, um, but the water that I was standing in wasn't the one we were kind of trying to win. We always go for one of the wards locally to win. Oh, I see. And we won it. Hooray! Hooray! Well done. <laughs> no, it's been tiring. Mm. And it's always on a school night, because elections in the UK are always on a Thursday. Yeah. So Friday the next morning, once a year, is me energy drink in hand talking about all the stats from the night before with my students. Oh, I see. <laughs> <laughs> and and your students are fine with you drinking an energy drink in front of them? They're not like, oh, sir, why can't we have one? Uh, they can, and I warn them. Okay. <laughs> I, I got ID'd getting the energy drink. You got ID'd? Oh, mm. yes. This is the thing now. You have to be, in the UK, you have to be 16, and it's greatly slowed down my commutes, because now I have to go to the in-person till. Or I have to wait for the man to come and check the, uh, you yep. know, the, the, the self-service till. Do you want to do some maths? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you, uh, let's, uh, let's, um, how about you start this time? All right. Last episode, we talked about how we hadn't done stuff with games in a while. Mm-hmm. Game theory. So, I'm addressing that. Okay. Here is a game, uh... Of which the initial concepts were designed by one of my students. Um, the student was called Joe Colvin. This is about two years ago. Mm-hmm. One of my further math students. And then over the course of a further maths lesson, we kind of group designed this game and then played it. Nice. It's of the spirit of a kind of negotiation game, a bit like Diplomacy is. Sure, yeah. Um, but it's trying to refine that a bit, trying to get rid of all the board and that sort of thing. And just trying to get to the concept of the game. Right. It's a game a bit like... Um, I suppose a bit like an auction or a bidding game. Okay. So, there are £100 in the pot. The goal is to get as much money at the end of the game as possible. You're playing with N people. We played it across our class. But you could play... I think you need at least three to be able to play it. People are going to be voting for other people. And the number of votes that you get is randomly assigned... Uh, Using a random number generator, you have a number from 1 to 10. That's how many votes you're allowed to assign to other people. Sure. Not everyone is as sought after for their votes, because not everyone has as many to distribute. Right. And it's um, secret how many votes you have to assign. This is Ah. easier if you put it all into a computer and get Mm. the computer to like assign how many votes people have. Right. There are going to be three rounds of play, and between each round of play, you get a new number. So a new number of votes from 1 to 10. So in one round you may be rubbish, in other rounds you're going to have lots. Um, Once you know how many votes you have, there is a round of negotiation. Now this is all done in secret. We use the college email system. And in the course of that lesson we generated like hundreds of emails. It got really complicated. What you're allowed to do is make deals with people. And these deals are binding. So deals could be of the form, for every vote that you give me, I will give you £3 off that £100 off the pot, for example. 
Right. Once all three rounds of bidding have happened, whoever has the most votes distributes the £100 based on the rules and the agreements they've made over the course of the game. So it may be that they've just about won other votes, but they've promised most of the money to people <laughs> in order to buy it. Yeah. Like, we only played one game of this, and the person that won was not the person that split the pot. It was the person that bought and sold votes throughout the game. Right. Everything is binding, and after each round, there was one box where you put your orders in. So you'd say, this is how many votes go for each person. So it could be you've sold three votes to one person and two votes to another person, and then maybe you voted for yourself with your remaining vote. And then we had a separate box, which was all the deals that you'd done, and so they were all tracked. Mm. So at the end of the game, everyone knew what was binding and what wasn't. Are the votes public? They are at the end of each round. So at the end of each bidding round, you see what deals people have made, and you see who the votes are for. Mm. So after the first round, maybe you've got a couple of forerunners who have lots of votes already for them. They are now in a position to actually be able to win the pot at the end of the free thing. Ah, the votes are cumulative. They are. Right. So if you haven't got many votes in the first round, probably fewer people are going to vote for you. And it might become a two-horse race. There was a bit of an emergence of, like, parties in this. It became a two-horse thing at the end. (laughs) Wow. I know, it was great. It was an emergent system. And we, we only played it once, so we didn't have any metagame or anything coming from it. But I yeah. think it's very much something that that would happen. One thing we noticed is the price per vote changed drastically through the rounds. It was a self-adjusting market. And what do you mean by the price per vote? So in the early things, you had a whole lot of emails coming in. So people trying to buy votes for £2 of the prospective pot. Ah. Or that sort of thing. Whereas the votes uh, crept up in value later on. Interesting. But you can make whatever deals you want. So people are making deals with a whole lot of if statements. So I'm going to pay you that many if I win the pot, or if you give me more than that many votes, uh, here's a discount on price or whatever. I will give you this percentage share if that person doesn't get more than that many votes, or that sort of thing. I kind of encourage them to make as complicated deals as they could. Right. Yes, I would start, uh, I would, I think my go-to strategy, and you tell me if anybody else did this, but I would start playing people off against each other, and I'll start saying, I will give X amount to the person who gives me the most votes, things yeah. like that. Yeah. 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 I, I didn't do very well in this game, but in the first round, I sold off all my votes for like, I don't know, five pounds per thing, and I bought in a whole lot of votes for me at like two pounds per thing. <laughs> you were doing vote, vote uh, value arbitrage, Yeah. Yeah. Um, but notice it here that unless you get the most votes overall, the votes are meaningless. So if you're a third horse in a race, those votes that you bought in at the end, they, they don't matter. Right. They, they were, I can't like cash out on that. And if you're a front runner, you must be in an incredible bargaining position. Yeah. 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 Uh, there's also uh, the element of like kingmaking in this. Hmm. So some of the people who had almost no votes at the end, uh, so no votes for them, but lots of potential votes... Um, deciding between the two people at the top could sell their votes for extortionate amounts. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And notice, unless you've got any money coming in, you can't give money out. So you have to go for the pot then? Yeah. yeah. And Or, like, money that you've got, once the pot is distributed, maybe you're getting, you're claiming some of the money from other people for votes that you sold back in the past. Everything's done on potential. Sorry, what do you mean by distributing the pot? Does the winner not just get a, get everything? They get everything, but then they have to um, abide by any deals they've made along the way. So the only currency in the game comes in right at the end of the game. 
How do you sequence the deals? Mm, I see what you mean, in case people run out of money. Yeah, if you're, used to, if you're using absolute stuff, or things could get recursive pretty quickly. Like, I'll give you, like, we might be a triangle of one person says, I'll give you a third of my pot, and this other says, I'll give you a third of my pot, and then the third <laughs> person says, I'll give the first person a third of my pot, and it could just, yeah. Yeah, we need a stack. Get geometric. Yeah. Ones from the start, I think ones from the start hold more weight. You should do it. You just do it. make deals which got you out of it. You do it exactly on timestamp. Yeah. It should be like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you just solidify the, uh, the the stack methodology there. What I'd like to see is just, I don't know, a dozen games of this being played so I could get some meta statistics on it. Yeah. I, I'd like to know what the price per vote is, what the strategies are here. Yeah. You can't not go for the pot at all because then that becomes a more valuable strategy. There must be whole, like, subcategories of uh, of people's deals they've made where just that that group of people just gets no money at all and it's all just useless yeah yeah <laughs> very interesting my student wanted to make it into a website and it's it's someone from two years ago he went to, to do a maths degree mm. so i'm not sure if he ever did it oh, it um, sounds impossible to implement it's definitely more of a party game than a computer game <laughs> i'll sort of party, a party game it's a very much complicated one. Yes, but it would be great at sort of, you know, 1am, everybody is uh, quite tired and or emotional, and there's about, you know, seven or eight people. It could, it could get pretty good. It could yeah. get pretty good, yeah. Do you think it would work with three people? Hmm. I don't know. Is it just two people who are the frontrunners trying to win over the favours of the Kingmaker in between? Yeah, I, could, I think I could get quite degenerate pretty quickly, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think with four, you could easily get a two-party system. Yes. Where it's just whichever person has the random numbers come up in their favour. So how many people do you need until it's good? Hmm. You know, this would be fantastic for the first, uh, you know, two or three years down the line, when we have, uh, uh, you know, higher listenership. We could be here at the uh, Odds and Evenings uh, listener meetup. And uh, uh, we could play this. Imagine a game with like hundreds of people. How <laughs> popular do you think we're going to be, Alaric? <laughs> we get hundreds of listeners. Uh, that's true, we do. So, uh, so tell me about the game, the one game you played then. What happened and, and what were some of the initial uh, contracts they'd made? I had a middling to low number of votes in the first round. I think I had about five. Um, a lot of it was trying to like work out who had the the majority of votes in that first one. Not many people voted for themselves. I think everyone was giddy to get involved in actually like buying and selling. Mm. And the only thing to sell was your couple of votes. I think about three people did well out of the f- first round in terms of votes for them. I got a few votes, and as I was saying, like my strategy of selling high and buying low didn't really work because the ones I bought were useless. Having a couple of votes for myself doesn't matter. If I'm not close to actually winning the pot. Right. Whereas potential money in from people who I've backed, that is value. Yes, yes. Um, that is value that then you then you can then use to uh Yeah. To deliver it saying, Look, I made this deal with this person, so I'm due this amount because I voted in this round, so therefore I have this amount of money and yeah. Here's a weird quirk. People who voted for you in future rounds have a vested interest in maintaining you doing well ah parata yeah because they want you to actually win so that they get payouts 
Right. So they keep voting for you. Second. So I think trying to buy, you just need a couple of votes from everyone, even if you um, pay extortionately for it in the first round, Mm. because it keeps the votes coming through. There's an investment there. This sounds wonderful. Uh, And how did this come about? Like, what what was the initial kernel of the idea? Um, I introduced that favorite maths class to the game of diplomacy. Ah. Should we do a brief bit on diplomacy? If you'd like. Diplomacy is a game which predates Risk, but it's similarly moving troops around a board. But unlike the game of Risk, there's no probability involved. Everyone submits orders, puts them into a box, and once all the orders are in, uh, everyone reveals what what orders went through. And it's a game where you're talking to people, you're making deals, a bit like in this game. Uh, but in Diplomacy, nothing's binding. So you might say, oh, I'll support your troop into there if you support me into here. And then you both write down your orders secretly and then everything's revealed and uh, maybe they supported you but you didn't support them it's a game with lots of backstabbing yes the difference between that and this game is this game the things are binding yes i remember i one particular game getting very deep into a uh, into a negotiation with you and then just completely disregarding it almost immediately yeah the look of betrayal on your face was fantastic it's a game where if you try and play it in an evening it's a good like eight to ten hours of your time gone oh yeah it lasts quite it's it's most fun in the first five or so rounds and then when it becomes two or three people warring it out with like fronts and so on it, it starts to get a little dry yep. so it's 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 great at the start and it's the kind of game that you probably can abandon or, or or that you can say you know let's just make it last this many rounds i think having a little timer is a useful thing and people also play it in a long play form so usually with my further maths classes after the first couple of months, uh, I set up a game of diplomacy, and we have an order box at the back of the classroom, and then the last five minutes of each lesson is process orders. Right. And I have all, I update the map on Google Drive. Oh, and then you display it on... Uh... Yeah, the students never let me, me win. They, um... <laughs> the crowd, they team up against you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, you, you don't have much of a chance to, uh, to talk to them, I imagine. They're, they're probably always all making deals in the... Uh, in, in the in the yeah. form rooms or whatever you call them. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Zero knowledge proofs. Have you heard of these? No. Okay, so a zero knowledge proof is proving that you've done something without telling someone how you did it. So okay. perhaps a good example of a zero knowledge proof is picking a lock. You can prove that you've picked the lock because the door opens but I I don't know how to pick locks I know that you do Uh, I've got a vague idea but like I don't really know how to do it yep so I guess another thing would be opening a safe like if you put a big blanket around the uh, around the the thing that you're turning the dial with the numbers on okay and and you hide that and then the safe door opens like that's that's a zero knowledge proof like you've proven that, that you know the solution to entering the safe but you haven't shown a bystander what that solution actually is. Okay, and this seems the basis of lots of magic tricks. Right. Imagine that you are in a, you know, cabin or somewhere, or, you know, just sitting around, and uh, you and a friend are working on a Sudoku puzzle. Yep. You're getting nowhere with it. You haven't entered in a single number into any of the boxes. And your friend is scrawling away. They've managed, they've made a breakthrough, and and they cascade, and they do the entire thing. Uh, But you can't see their answers. Okay. How can the other person prove that they've solved the Sudoku puzzle 
without showing you any of their answers. Hmm. So it's, it's without showing any. It's not like when you have to enter your secret password when you're using your debit card online and it asks you for the first, the third and the fifth letters of it. So if it did ask you for that, it would have to be in a way where you can't go, ah, the one at this box is this number. Okay, so can you do some stuff with like sums, like where things are, information is lost? Feels like a cryptography thing. This is a cryptography thing. So when you're trying to, um, say, encode an email. Um, hmm. It's tricky, right? And yeah. let me give you a clue. You can do it with a lot of playing cards. Okay, you, what's the setup with the playing cards? To hand in the room, you have playing cards. As many as you want. Okay. And, you know, you just have your, your boxes of playing cards. There's no restrictions, they're just there. And let's say, you know, maybe you also have, I don't know, um, uh, marker pen or something. You know, just usual stuff. You've got stationery. You can do what you want. So, playing cards can be used to transmit information because they they have a state. Yeah. Uh, they could also be used to cover up parts of the grid. Which line of reasoning am I, am I going down? Both. Um, although I wouldn't use them for covering, I would perhaps consider that a playing card can be face up or face down. I'm trying to think about processes that go one way. Mm. So think thinking of like the RSA. Um, I want to say RSA algorithm. Is the A of RSA already algorithm? Oh, it could be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> RAS syndrome. So redundant acronym syndrome syndrome. <laughs> um. Let me tell you that perhaps this can also be done with scratch-offs rather than playing cards. If that's another clue as to how you use the playing cards. So scratching something off is a bit like turning a, a playing card face up. You're revealing the information that it holds. Ding, ding, ding. Yep. Going down the right line. But revealing the information feels like you are gaining one of the numbers in one of the boxes. Mmm. Does a little bit. So he's trying to lose the um, the one-to-oneness mm. of those boxes. So, uh, here's another clue. Uh, if you were to use playing cards in the boxes, you could potentially use more than one in the same box. Okay. Um, so testing not what what those numbers are, but mapping a few of them together and saying, are these the same number or not? So pointing at two boxes and saying, are those the same numbers as each other? Hmm. Would your method here work if you'd filled any 9 by 9 grid with just random numbers from 1 to 9, i.e. it hadn't solved the Sudoku properly? You would very quickly work out that they hadn't solved it. Does it use a few pieces of information? Are you dipping into that bond a few times? Uh, yes, you are. 27 times. Okay. So you're testing where for the parity of each individual cell... Hmm. Think about the rules of Sudoku. So each horizontal, each vertical, and each square has to have 1 to 9 in it. Yes. By the way, while Alaric's thinking, this is something that I... Uh, Heard on the Zero Knowledge podcast, which is a uh, podcast uh, that's also hosted on the same uh, podcast host as us. They mentioned this as an aside in sort of mid-April or so. I think you're going to have to talk me through it. Okay. So you're actually really close. The layout is as follows. 
you make the 9x9 grid. So what you do is you take the initial puzzle, because a Sudoku puzzle comes with some that you know and some you don't. Yep. If it's just a blank sheet, then you can just fill in whatever yep. you want. Yep. Uh, you lay down three copies of each number face up where you already know the answer. Okay. In each cell, the cells that are given to you. you put so them down. there's a cell in, say, the top left, which has the number four. So you put four cards with, say, number four on it. Yes. Uh, face up. So one for the horizontal, one for the vertical, one for the square. Correct. Three by three square. Correct. And then the person who's proving places uh, their solutions face down in each of the squares. And then what you then have to do is check that each row, column, or square contains the numbers one to nine. So then you, you pick up one card in each. So if the left-hand column, yep. you take one from the top left, one the, uh, the face down one from the one below that, the face down one from the one below that. So you take one of each of that entire column. I see. So each of the face down ones, there's again three copies. Yes. Yep. And then you go, you scoop up all the cards, you yep. shuffle them. Yep. So you got nine of them, and then you check that they are one to nine. Yes, you check that they're one to nine, and you put that aside. And then you do the same for each and every until, yep. you've, uh, until you've solved it. And there you have it. That is how you prove that you've solved a Sudoku puzzle <laughs> without <laughs> actually showing what the answer is. That's, I like it. Yeah. This feels like it has uses in, say, voting. When you want to have something which is verifiable, but also you don't want to reveal what anyone in particular has voted. Yes. So this has fantastic implications for blockchain and cryptocurrencies. Uh, okay. There is a there is a particular cryptocurrency called Zcash, um, which I'm is so not up to date. It's called Zcash, and um, it uses a particular type of uh, cryptographic method called a, a zk snark, which is a, a zero. The zk stands for zero knowledge. Yep. And. Yeah, this particular cryptocurrency has more anonymity than Bitcoin does because it uses zero-knowledge proofs to prove the, the, the blocks being mined and which transactions went where. Okay. Um, so it, it can hide more stuff yeah. than Bitcoin does. So yes, it has applications there. Um, voting is the same. So that's one of the, one of the good applications of blockchain is, the, is, is voting because you're essentially voting on what's true. That's yeah. kind of how blockchain works. Um, so yeah, you're right that it's good in voting but also zero knowledge proofs are just useful in all sorts of different places it's very good to be able to prove that something is possible without showing how it's done so black balls black balling uh, as a voting thing I think quite a lot of like masonic lodges and things have this sort of system fraternities hmm. and things where a black ball is almost like a veto so you have a new member trying to apply for your club and if anyone puts a black ball in, you don't get in. Mm. Um, and they have these boxes where you put your hand into the top. It's like a big glove thing. Yeah. And then inside there's two chutes. There's a one on the left and one on the right. The one on the left is the one that's going to be counting. The one on the right is the one which is like the, uh, the rubbish, the garbage. Right. And you put your hand in and your hand contains a white ball and a black ball, but then only you know what's happening inside. Mm-hmm. And you drop one ball into one side and one ball into the other side. Mm. At the end, you uh, pull out the tray, and maybe it's all white, or maybe it's got some black ones in there. So you'll know how many people voted um, against, but you won't know who they are. And it's verifiable that everyone has voted, and people haven't gone like with extra balls. They haven't accidentally snuck uh, two white balls into their hand, because both 
the the accepted pile and the rejected pile, which should add up to the same number. And you know how many that number is. It, it's just a way. It's, it's a very simple voting system where you've only got two possible outcomes. But it's it's got this kind of checksum on it. Mm. It, yeah. it just seems similar to me as a concept. Yeah, no, they are. Uh, the, the checksum's nice as well. So I will say actually that this particular um, implementation of a zero knowledge proof for Sudoku is partially hackable. So you do need to prove that the other person is following the methodology. This is this is where my knowledge of, of this kind of runs out a little bit. Okay. But you can imagine that somebody places two threes and a four face down. Yeah. And that there's there's some way to kind of cheat it. So yeah, you have you um, take each of the piles up, you like staple them together. And then you shuffle them, but you like keep the, the freeze together. Yes. So yeah, okay, you can do it with cards. Uh, what you do is you staple each pile of three together. Mm-hmm. You have this. You put them all into a big pile. So you've got a big pile of things which are stapled together. Yeah. You shuffle them up, and then you look at each pile of three. <laughs> yeah. You take the whole board. Yeah. You staple all the threes together. Pull them all together. Yeah. Yeah, and that should work. Uh, can you defend against if somebody's just literally just puts a pile of three in the wrong place? Well, what you do is you do that. Uh, you verify that each pile of three is correct. You then, while they're still stapled, let them re-put them onto the board. And yeah. then you do the, the first method. You de-staple them and then use the first method. And that should work. Yep. That should be fine. It feels like we could keep going levels out. Oh, yeah. No, but by the way, this is how hacking uh, passwords works. So there's this whole like layer of, okay, so I have a username and a password. So the person who's attacking is just going to run a bunch of passwords against it. Oh, but then you have something that stops them from putting so many in, or you have three until they're wrong, and so, like, then you've got to start hashing them, and then you've got to start adding assault in the hash, and there's all these, like, yeah, it's a, it's an arms race, uh, and, yep. this, and this is how this is how hacking and 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 and, and these things work. Um, cryptography is is pretty amazing, and I'm probably going to start reading into it a bit more and doing a little bit more on the show um, because I also wanted to do the Byzantine generals problem is another thing in uh, blockchain but oh, can't that's f- a beautiful name oh it is fantastic but i can't find a good uh, a good layman's explanation for it because everybody who starts describing it gets very overexcited halfway through and starts talking about blockchain and i just i just want someone to talk about the byzantine generals problem in very simple terms before going off on one about about blockchain and things like that well so. let's try and be at that niche Yes, let's try and, yeah, I've got to try and just work through these papers and try and work it out. So, coming up on an episode near you, the Byzantine Generals problem. Explained simply. Cool. Zero knowledge proofs. Interesting stuff, I think. Yeah, I, I'm sat here, head in my hands, just reconsidering a lot of things <laughs> in, in that style. How you could do all sorts of proofs without yeah. proving how you did it. Yeah. Oh, ah, good. <laughs> yes. Good, good no- knowledge. this again is a problem i was working on a couple of years ago and i never quite got to the end of i've got almost there um but i haven't got a proof of the last bit so i want to do this so some people uh, can help us out (laughs) because you know that our listeners are, are now so smart and the stuff they send in is so brilliant that you can just present an open problem. Here, listeners, do my tax return. (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, I, I posted this one on Facebook back before I, I had my website, and then I reformatted it as an article on my website. Um, so you, you may well have seen it. Maybe. Um, ducks on a duck pond. Mm-hmm. Back to ducks. Yeah, but these these ones aren't travelling. Okay. No shockwaves. Okay. Um, you have a circular duck pond. There are N ducks on it. Yeah. What is the probability, related to N, that both ducks are in the same half of the pond? And by half of the pond, I mean if you drew a diameter and you split it into two equal pieces, what's the chance they're in the same bit? Do you mean all the ducks? You yes. said both. Oh, all N of them. All N ducks are on the same side of the pond. Hmm. So, if N equals 1... They're always going to be on the same side of the pond. True. N equals 2? This immediately becomes difficult. Even N equals 2. It's not 50-50, right? It isn't, no. <sighs> Think about the ways... The number of ways that you can split the pond into two equal pieces. Yeah, I am... I am drawing... I have a rotating line that goes through the centre of the pond. And That's I'm rotate- the right thing to do. I'm, I'm yep. rotating it in my head. But the ducks can also be anywhere. Um, this is difficult. What part of this haven't you solved? Down the line, finding the general case. The general case. So you've or got... proving you, the general you've, case. You've solved for two. I've got a formula which I think works for all of them. I just haven't proved it. I've manually verified it for the first many. Hmm. Okay, so imagine with your two ducks. Let's put the first one anywhere. Let's have it at the top, say. Someone okay. the... Uh, if you drew a radius from well, the centre to the edge, obviously, at the top, and you've got it somewhere along there, where what are the possibilities for where the other duck is? Ah, well, if, if you've fixed the first duck, yep. then it's 50-50. No. Why? Oh, because they could also be kind of below that, and then you could draw a diagonal line. Hmm. There is always... Oh, for two ducks. Yep. Unless they are directly in line with each other. Yep. Which is infinitely vanishing. Yes. It's, it's a probability of one. Yes. There we go. Okay. okay. There we go. Got that. Right. Cool. So uh, imagine you've got the top duck. It can be anywhere. We can just rotate the whole problem. Let's just have it at the top for mm-hmm. ease of imagining. Then either the other duck is somewhere on the left, in which case you draw a diameter, which includes both of them on the left hand side, or it's on the right, in which case you draw a diameter, which includes both of them on the right hand side. Yeah. The only other possibility is it's literally opposite on the pond. The opposite side, in which case there's that uh, infinitesimally small line in which case in which they don't work, but that is infinitely unlikely. Mm. That they're in continuous space here; they can be anywhere, so they're always going to be. It's yep. probably to one. Yes, in which yes. they're both on the same side. The trick here is we can dynamically define where the half of the pond is. Yeah. Right. Three ducks. The three ducks. Well, you already know. That two ducks are on the same side. So what's the probability that the third duck is also on that same side? Yep. Is this another one where I go, it's 50-50, and you say no? Or is this the one where I say it's 50-50, and you say yes? Uh, it's one where you say 50-50, and I say no. Yes, because if the first two ducks were directly on top of each other, it's back to the first problem. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Whereas the worst-case scenario is they're pretty much opposite each other. Yes, or they could be in an equilateral triangle... And there's yeah. no, and then there's, they can't. That's that's not possible. There's a simplifying thing here, which makes all of these a lot easier. Is it symmetry? It, it, there is a symmetry here. Okay. Thinking about the average position of the ducks, let's say that the first duck is at the top again. Then, 
on average, duck number two is 90 degrees around from it. Because it's somewhere from 0 to 180 degrees away from duck number one. Uh, yes. On average, it would be 90 degrees around. Let's have it somewhere on the right. Okay. So, uh, duck number one is north of the centre. Duck number two is east of the centre, on average. Now, there's there are different possibilities for where duck three could be. If it's in the top right quadrant, then they're definitely on the same side. Because it's just between the first two. Yeah. If it's in the top left or bottom right quadrants... Again, you you can fit them all into a semicircle. That's true, yeah. The only way it fails is if it's in the bottom left. Yeah. And so three quarters of the time it will work. Now, this it feels like we're throwing away information when we're just doing the average. Actually, it ends up working. Mm. And if you follow through that average idea, uh, it helps you do the higher numbers of ducks. Do you want to go to four? So the first ducks at the top. Second duck somewhere on the right, with an average of 90. The third duck... Uh, does this branch? Do I have to think does. of... Yeah, yes. I have to think of the three different branches. If the third duck's in the top right... Yep. Then we're back to the two duck problem. Yes. And so that happens a quarter of the time. And you know if it, it happens like that, you've got a three-quarters chance of working. Yeah. Because it's an irrelevant duck. Yes. Essentially, yes. You're um, an irrelevant duck. <laughs> Shut up! <laughs> um, sorry, sorry, duck. I'm sure you have lots of lovely contributions to the world of ducking. So it's a, but it's a relevant duck. If it's in the top left, yep. Then you're, you're ah. If it's in the top left, you're at the three duck problem again. On average, if it's in the top left, or in fact the bottom right, it will be forty uh, halfway through that quadrant. So it'd be like forty-five yes. degrees away. Yes. So it'll either be in the in the half ten to twelve position, yeah, okay, or the nine to half ten position. It takes time for me to convert out of your analog clock form into degrees. Oh, yeah. sorry. Uh, uh, either be pi by four or between. So yeah, I'm going to do it in degrees. You've got duck one at zero degrees. You've got duck two at ninety degrees. Uh, if we carry on in that direction, another forty-five degrees takes you to one three five. You used 135 degrees out of your 360. Now, it means you've got 45 degrees left to play with on either side for duck number four. Yeah. So it's got, uh, it can be anywhere in the 135 degrees, all the 45 degrees to one side, all the 45 degrees to the other side, and still fit into the semicircle. So what does that mean? So putting all together, that's five eighths of the circle that fourth duck can be in. Yeah. That case happens half of the time, when dot number three was in top left or bottom right. Sure. And so putting it all together, there's that case, plus the case uh, when the third duck didn't matter, when it was an irrelevant duck, when it was in top right, which happens a quarter of the time. Right. And that gave a probability of three quarters. So it's five sixteenths plus three sixteenths. Yes. To make eight sixteenths, which is a half. Yes. You told me it wasn't a half. Uh, I told you the last one wasn't a half. Oh, okay. Yep. <laughs> so I should have I should have said 50% <laughs> for that one. Interesting. So you can extend this. You can keep putting more ducks in. It just branches into more and more cases every time. Hmm. So far, what we've got for n equals 1, 2, 3, or 4 are the probabilities 1, 1, 3 quarters, a half. That doesn't seem particularly... Patently. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. It may, maybe you think then a quarter... Because if you ignore the initial one as just like a weird edge case, you'd have one three quarters a half. It ends up not being that. 
So the next one ends up being 5 sixteenths. But if you rewrite all of these probabilities in like not simplified down form, yeah. you get 1 over 1, 2 over 2, 3 over 4, 4 over 8, 5 over 16. Whoa, nice. Like it. Yeah. So it's kind of arithmetic on the top and geometric on the bottom. The next one will be 6 over 32. Yeah. Interesting. I don't think I've ever done the next case. By that point, you've you've got a lot of ducks. And you know what the pattern is. Yeah, it's too many ducks. So uh, what I'm suggesting here is the probability is n over 2 to the n minus 1. Now, the reason I, I wanted to do this on the podcast is I've just kind of done the first couple of cases, got this neat pattern and been like, yep, <laughs> that looks right. I can kind of see where the numbers are coming from when I put together all of these um, these cases. What I'd like is a proof. Hmm. And in particular, what I like is instead of me just saying the average um, duck on these things, I think that's I think that's a valid step. But if someone whose stats is better than mine could um, do the actual integrals on these, I'd be grateful. <laughs> so this is a beacon to the uh, super group of people who normally sends in nice solutions for us. Solve our ducks. Fix our ducks. We got duck problems. Yeah, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't know the first way to approach that. But you you would have to start doing things in a continuous fashion rather than a discrete fashion. Unless it can be yep. transformed. Like unless you can transform the problem in some interesting way. Rather than in circles you're talking about just a line. Because we're always just rotating it, so the first deck is at the top anyway. Feels like we're getting rid of a lot of the information about circles. We're taking the rotational symmetry into account. Yeah. It reminds me of a famous problem that I can't recall at all, but there was a good video by um, 3Blue1Brown about a, um, a similar problem from the Maths Olympiad one time. It's supposed to be one of the hardest maths problems of all time. Okay. So you may have stumbled across something quite close to one of the <laughs> admittedly hardest Olympiad problems ever. I can't remember where I heard this problem. It might have hmm. been a maths conference. Oh, and, and what? And they didn't give you a good answer there either? I can't remember. I can't remember where I heard it. Right, right. I've never been to a maths conference. Mm, they're good fun. I went to the MEI one, which is our exam board. What happens? Um, for two are, years there, in a row. are there sort of panels and breakout groups and things like yeah. that? Yeah, so a lot of it was teaching based, but in each session you would choose which talks you were going to, and they would always have one which was history of maths related or puzzly sort of things, mm. along with all the teaching stuff, and I would just go along to all of those. So it was a three day thing, it was held at a university. And it was the same people going to those History of Maths ones. Like, it was the same crowd. Those were the uh, the interesting maths people. Ah, the interesting ones. I, I had so much fun. I, I ended up doing so much maths in each of them. Mm. And it was uh, me playing around with maths in a way where I, I, I don't get to as much uh, actual work. People are just talking about teaching rather than uh, getting on with some problems. Yeah. But uh, this podcast is filling that gap for me at the moment. Oh, well, st- you make sure you still go to these things because they sound good. So we've had some listener feedback. You may remember from last time we had the puzzle with the car going around the big circle with uh, with the petrol stations around it. Two different listeners, who you may have heard from before, have uh, sent in different solutions and both of them are gorgeous. So, which is the one we're going to start with? Uh, let- let's do them in the order they came in. Okay. Um, so we got one from Andrew Slattery, who was the person who proposed the problem to us. Oh yes, yeah. Uh, um, now, just the sheer turnaround on his answer here. Oh my god, the turnaround time! This is amazing. So 
I edited the podcast at, I don't know, it was late at night. It was at half midnight it came out, the episode. UK time, I published it half midnight. Yeah, the podcast takes an hour to listen to, and that problem was towards the end of it. And an hour after you could have possibly listened to it, we had a fully latexed up PDF of the solution that he'd written. Which is just impressive, given that there could be lags in any of those, like not noticing when the podcast comes in, uh, <laughs> taking a break and listening to it, <laughs> all of these, all of them. Um, I was well asleep and um, before any of this came out. I hadn't listened to the episode like, yeah. for hours after this solution came in. Uh, would you like to go through it? The idea uses the numbering system that we mentioned in the episode. We have some sort of positive numbers going around. They are the um, how much petrol you're getting at each station, with the total number uh, being one. And then you have negative numbers in between them, which are the amount of petrol you're using to get to each station. And again, the sum has to be, the magnitude of the sum has to be one. So they add up to minus one going around. Now, the solution here, it, it turns out it is always possible. And more than that, and this surprised me, it's possible going in the same direction. Like, you can do it always going clockwise, so. Mm, I was convinced yeah. the solution was going to require you to go sometime, half the time and go the other way around. Ah, right. Um, so what's the solution? So, you start off anywhere. Uh, you're going to head around clockwise. And so you've got some amount of petrol, and then you try going uh, on the journey, and maybe you end up negative straight away. At that point, you start at the station where you would have run out just before. So you go around the circle as far as you can until you get into kind of petrol debt. And then for the next iteration, you start at the station after that. Now, what he proved with a whole lot of summation stuff was that that method of going around and um, just trying the next one until one works always works. Like there will always, always be... find yeah the appropriate. Yeah. And there are no corner cases. No, it's possible that there is more than one solution. Hmm, for sure. It, it could be that both, uh, say, two stations equally far apart, both have half the petrol. That would that would work. Yeah, or, or, or any sure. of them, like end stations equally far apart with uh, one nth of the petrol in each could give n different possible uh, starting points that all work. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I think the way the best way to justify why this works, we got from the other piece of feedback. I think it's easier to explain from that one. The other piece came from uh, Thomas Vaness, who also wrote in last time. Um, and he had a kind of graph proof. The idea here is uh, we're going to have your distance around the circle on the x-axis, and we're going to have total amount of petrol that you've got on the y-axis. That y-axis can be positive or negative, so sometimes going around you're going to be in petrol debt. You start off with some amount of petrol, and you end up with zero petrol. You'll have ended up back at the x-axis, because the total amount of petrol used and the total amount of um, petrol that there are to go around has to be the same. And what you end up with is... uh, a straight line graph where it's kind of going up and down. Every time you get to a station, the line goes up. Every time you are travelling, that line is slowly going down with a gradient, negative gradient. Fixed gradient, yeah. Yep. And what you end up with is this kind of sawtoothed, like, jaggedy thing. So it's occasionally going up vertically and then slowly going down with a constant gradient. That line, depending on where you started, could be 
above or below the axis. It could be like a bit of both. Imagine like a, a classic clip art thing of the stock market prices. Yeah. Somewhere along there, because it started off at the x-axis and it ended up at the x-axis, there must be a minimum point. It's continuous. Yeah. You take that minimum point, which is uh, where you've just about got to another station, because after that it jumps up again, and you start there. Now, what happens to the graph is if you start there, the graph has exactly the same shape, kind of cycled around, but now it's always going to be above the x-axis, because it's never going to get below that point. Yes. Yeah. Isn't it good? Yeah. Um, and it's the same idea as Andrew Slattery's one. Uh, it's just done in a kind of visual way. Yeah. And actually, the picture he's drawn, because it isn't vertical straight up and down, you can kind of assume that to be um, the time along the x-axis and petrol takes some time to put into the tank. You could say. Yeah. 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 It's equivalent. I don't know. It is one of those ones where we we'd thought about it for a while and then just like an idea and a picture broke it open for you. Yeah. And that's that's satisfying. Yeah, isn't it good? Isn't it fun doing podcast with such clever listeners? Well done everybody. Well done <laughs> everybody. Okay, so thank you for joining us for this particular episode of Oz and Evenings. So for new listeners, at the end of every episode, we describe how satisfied we were with the answers and where we got to. So, Alric, what was the uh, thing that we did first? We did the email bidding game. Yes, we did do the email bidding game. We need a title, I think. It Mm. needs like a a catchy name as a game. Yeah, I don't have anything. No. No. I feel it's not my place to name it. It's Joe's. I have no contact with him. Oh, I see. (laughs) Um... So, it's something I haven't thought about for a while, but it's, it feels like it gets to the heart of game theory-style problems. It's just like raw game theory. You can do whatever you want in it, you can make whatever deal you want, and uh, you can see it as like an evolving system. Yeah. Let's see where the metagame is. Yeah, I'd be keen to see how it plays out in uh, you know in fresh crowds that haven't played it, but also... When metagames come in. Well, you and Lily are up at mine in two weeks. Oh, God. Yeah, sure. Get practicing. Yeah. Uh, so, how satisfied were you with the uh, discussion? Eight. It was good. Yeah, it was good. Um, I, I would I would give it a ten if we'd worked out some horrific degenerate strategy that always wins. But I think the thing about it is that that's impossible. Because people can just see you're doing that and then refuse to do any deals with you. I think I can see that for two, the two-player game. You think there's a degenerate strategy for the two-player game? I think you just never vote for the other person. You just vote, vote for yourself and <laughs> coin toss the all-win. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, no, I'd say, yeah, eight or so. I was very impressed with the game. Mm. Brilliant. Like, so pure. One day we'll yeah. get onto these... Uh, prime games. Prime yeah. games. Oh, it's like, it's, it's like you know, uh, so uh, we're recording this at the time when Infinity Wars just hit the, uh, the cinemas. And uh, and they've they've been threatening Thanos for like eighteen movies. We're we'll be we're going to be threatening Prime Games for a uh, for <laughs> eighteen episodes. Before we finally get to it, uh, Alex. That that's where our whole friendship has been leading. <laughs> for working out Prime Games. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, right. Well, that's all the teasing you get for now, listeners. Um, and the second thing we did was wait, yeah. Wait, what am I saying? It's obviously a ten. <laughs> <laughs> What do you mean? 
like are you, uh, I, I'm feeling inspired by that little uh, end to that conversation then. Sure. Yeah, retconning. Ten. Okay, brilliant. Um, oh yeah, of course, of course, because it's part of the Prime Game saga. So it's a ten. <laughs> yeah. Um, the next one we did was Zero Knowledge Proofs of Sudoku. Oh, this was a good episode. This was a good episode, wasn't it? Yeah, how do you feel about that one? Um, I can't go 10 because I didn't get to the solution myself, but I really like the bit where we solved the extra zero-sum game of checking that they have the same three numbers. I feel like that was the point at which you'd introduced a new language to me. Here's this new way of thinking. Yeah. And then I got to do one myself. Hmm. Yeah, very good. So, nine. Yeah, I'm going to nine it as well. And then the last one we did was uh, Ducks in a Pond. Where it was an appeal for information. I'd already kind of done all the thinking. I I think it's quite neat thinking, the way that it just kind of uh, cascades. It's all like a self-symmetric. It's a branching, yeah. Um, Those are the only probability questions I can really solve. The ones where I can just keep track of a whole lot of different branching cases. Just brute force it, yeah. Yeah. Those are the only Uh, ones I can't do because I refuse to use pen and paper most of the time. So I just can't keep track of things. That was a little frustrating for me because I kept getting it wrong. But it was very elegant. I liked how it ended up working out. Would love to. Would love to see uh, a proof of it if I could understand it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Or even better, just some intuitive answer as to why you get this like n over two to the power of the powers yeah. of n minus one. Yeah. Exactly. If it's obvious that you can just reduce it in this sort of way, and it's like, ooh, yes. Because at the moment we're just spotting a pattern, and we're like, ooh, that's neat enough that that's probably true. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, some things just aren't right. Um, some things look like they neatly follow a pattern and then they, they fall off. They're, they're the things that maths teachers quite like using in uh, classes as examples of um, why you need proof. So there's that classic one where you've got um, n points around a circle and you're joining, you're doing like the complete graph between them. So you're joining all the points to all the other points. Yeah. And you ask people how many sections are made, yeah. like how many different spaces inside. And the first couple, it gives you powers of two. Yeah. And then it breaks away. Yes. But it breaks away just at the right point. You'd <laughs> want as a maths teacher to be like, ah, you think you've got a pattern? <laughs> you think you're smart? Try <laughs> Let me tell you, you are a fool. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that's not how I teach stuff. <laughs> so <not>, really? Because <laughs> uh, whenever any of my students get anything wrong when I'm a teacher, I'm just going to turn the lights off, play some thunder sounds and just laugh at them. <laughs> Did I do a number for that one? I don't remember. Do another one. Five. Hmm. Yes, mine's more of a four, I think. Okay. Good. Well, that was a cracking episode, and I kind of knew that it would be going in. Um, I got good vibes about this episode. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. If you would like to get in contact with us about that last problem or anything that you've heard over this episode or any of the ones you've heard previously, do not hesitate to get in touch at oddsandevenings.com. We've got a a feedback form there you can fill in. Uh, We're also on Twitter at at oddsandevenings. Um, For some reason, if you want to email us directly, we're oddsandevenings at Um, gmail.com. But the feedback form lands in that place and we check that all the time. Uh, I'm on Twitter at at speakmouthwords. Uh, somebody followed me uh, from the show, uh, like a show listener who actually happens to be a, a friend of Alaric's as well. 
Um, and immediately I started to regret the fact that I give out my Twitter on these because my <laughs> Twitter page is it's like the, the coal face of hell. It's uh, it's not, <laughs> not particularly comprehensible. Uh, but you're welcome to you're welcome to have a look anyway. Um, Alaric, where can we find you? Well, you can contact me through the show. Yeah. I, all, all of the good correspondence at the moment is coming to our show Twitter or to our Gmail account, mm. which mm. comes from the contact phone. Uh, we also have a subreddit. Uh, slash r slash odds and evenings which yeah we go on and we kind of submit stuff every now and again so and we probably have a facebook as well yes we do have a facebook because we got our first review on facebook this week thank you very hmm. much if you're listening to this a lot of you got it from reddit and a lot of you got it from people who told you about it from reddit um you probably have some maxi people in your life Maybe recommend our show to them. Yes. Let's grow this thing. From what we can tell, people who like maths quite like this show. So if you'd like people to like things, how about you introduce it to them? Also, let's, let's ask this now. Why are there so many Texans listening to this show? <laughs> in, our, in our analytics, we have this like high abundance of people from Texas. People from Texas, if you're still listening and you haven't dropped off, please get in touch and tell us how you found out about our show. Because I can kind of understand that there's we get quite a high level in California because there's just a lot, a lot of people that live there. Yep. Um, and also we know uh, like the, the, there's a few people from UC Berkeley uh, that listen to us. But this Texas thing is just baffling. Nobody has got in touch with us from Texas, from our knowledge. Um, the one person got in touch via Twitter who wanted the snaky plushie called Dallas, but I don't think that he actually lives in Dallas. So let us know, Texans. Explain yourselves. <laughs> and uh, while you're doing that, I'm going to enjoy this lovely sunny weekend. Sat inside editing this show. <laughs> I'm going to the pub. Thank you for joining us again. We'll be back in two weeks, as usual. And we will see you next time. Goodbye. Bye-bye. to wrap up. Hey, here's a suggestion. I always do the wrap up. How about you do it? Okay. We get up the show notes again. Okay, Alex. Let's uh, let's wrap up. Let's do the bit at the end of the episode where we talk about how well each one went. How satisfied are we with the solution? Okay. So what do we do first? Oh, this is why I always ask. <laughs> this is why I always start, so I can ask you. Because I don't have the show notes up. Okay, let's start again. I'll, I'll write that. Point proven. Well done. Because <laughs> I have no idea. Uh, right. <laughs> <laughs>